Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Yeah, it's good to be in God's house, isn't it? What a beautiful weekend, isn't it? Um, Aaron, thank you for leading us. And uh, man, that's an awesome song, isn't it? Um, it's good to be in God's house this morning. My name is Tyler. I'm the Youth and Families Pastor here at Newtown Road. And just want to go over a couple quick things. Uh, we want to we want to say welcome to you. If you are a, a guest or a visitor, maybe it's your first time, we would love for you to uh, fill out a communication card. And so whether you are here in person or you're tuning in online, hello to you, welcome to you, Facebook, YouTube. Um, you can, if you're online, you can scroll down and uh, click that link, fill out a communication card. If you're here and you're able to pull up the Church Center app and do it that way, that would be a wonderful way for us to know that you are here um, and for us to get you information about some of the things that we'll be mentioning and more uh, about going, things going on around our ministry. And so um, just to highlight a couple things, this morning we are partaking in the Lord's Supper. And so if you um, did not for any reason receive the elements this morning and you would like to, um, they're giving them out right at the check-in downstairs, the registration. And so you can slip out and grab some of those um, or one of those. Don't, you don't have to take more than one. Okay. Um, and... Uh, and that would be great. And then uh, just a reminder to you, it's kind of, it's not as applicable in this service as it is the next one, but um, if you can do your best to sit in seats with the, the same number of seats or close to it as your family, that'd be wonderful. I know sometimes we don't uh, have the, the option available, and that's fine. Again, in this service, that's not a problem at all. Um, but our church is continuing to grow, and um, we're seeing visitors. We want to make sure that people have places to sit, and so that's just a, a friendly reminder to us all. Um, and uh, as, I, as you see, I took up a, a row of four back there by myself this morning, so maybe not a good, uh, maybe not, do as I say, not as I do, right, this morning. Um, Anyways, that's, uh, that made me forget my last announcement. Um, and then, uh, I think they started last week, but uh, Ken Hayner and, and their team, they're doing a prayer time in between the services. And so this morning from 10.15 to 10.45, they're going to do a guided prayer through Jeremiah. Um, and so uh, I, I just think that would be such a, a cool time, and, and I just want to encourage you to um, to take a look at that, and if you want to be a part of that, and praying for our church, praying for the needs of our church, and coming together for that encouragement, I would, I would encourage you to do that, or speak with, with Mr. Hayner about that um, guided prayer time. So, as always, thank you for your uh, continued faithfulness and your giving. If you are prepared to give your tithes and your offerings here this morning, um, you can do that in the box next to the door on your way out. And uh, as always, you can give online as well through the Church Center app uh, or our website. This morning, we're going to continue through our study of Mark. I'm going to invite Pastor Matt up uh, to speak to us. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Aaron. It's good to see you guys. What a crazy time to be alive, huh? I, <laughs> it's been three weeks since I last stood here. Uh, and in an amusing turn of events, our study in Mark takes us to Mark 13 and signs of the end. So that's kind of funny. Um, the humor is not lost on me today, I promise you. When we will surely get there, I, I promise you as well, we will get to Mark 13 
And we'll talk about Jesus' teaching on what those signs of the end will be. But before we get there, I just want to stop and pause this morning and reflect on the events of the past week. Um, As many of us, no doubt, cast our votes in the presidential election, I don't want to race past such a significant thing uh, without offering just a few thoughts. And um, again, this is like eating, eating fish, right? You take the meat and you spit out the bones. So if you don't like what I have to say, that's okay. I still like you. You can be part of our church. Um, unless you're a Cowboys fan. And then there's, there's a place downstairs you can watch. Um, but here, here's some thoughts I, I just had. To, to, uh, as I was pondering and praying and watching the chaos unfold around me uh, over the last weeks and especially the last few days. What an incredible gift to live in a nation where we have the privilege of participation in the election of our representatives and leaders. What, that's a gift that many of our brothers and sisters in the Lord don't know around the world. What an honor What a privilege. And it's not lost on me that that honor and that privilege was secured through the sacrifice and death of our ancestors and the men and women who have served in uniform over the years to protect and preserve our way of life. What a gift. And and as I was casting my vote on Tuesday for Kanye, I... uh, (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't help it. Um... As I was casting my vote Tuesday, I was, I was struck by that, that brothers and sisters around the world are not afforded that kind of privilege. And I'd like to also offer this thought, too, that in the wisdom of our, the framers and founders of our Constitution, we get to do this again in four years. And I'm not trying to be cute or snarky with that, but, but temper some of the expectation and emotion with that concept. If, if you're elated today good for you. It's going to be short-lived. If you're desperate today, I'm sorry, but it's going to be short-lived. Less than 1,500 days. In the wisdom of the, of, of the framers of our Constitution, we get to do this all again. And although elections do very little to draw us together, and although they do very little to preserve the unity of even in the body of Christ, the reality is they last for four years and we get to do it all again. And further, what a gift to be able to know and to fellowship with and commune with the one who holds it all together. I was reading in Psalm 93 and Psalm 96 this morning that the Lord reigns. He's firmly established on his throne. He's clothed in majesty. And even though the waters roar and foam, and in the, in the Old, this isn't my passage today, but in the Old Testament, when waters are roaring and foaming, it's a sign of unrest and chaos. And even though the waters roar and foam, the earth will not be moved because his word is above all the chaos of this world. What a gift to be a child of God by grace and through faith and not have to give in to despair and anxiety over the affairs of this world. And the older I get, the, I, I used to think that I would just get, it would get easier. It doesn't. Actually, it gets worse. And I have to preach to myself day after day after day. But what a gift to know the one who holds it all together. Even when, even when it's confusing, His providence, his wisdom, his sovereignty allows us to live free of that kind of worry and anxiety. I'm also reminded of our calling before God to honor those 
whom God has placed in positions of leadership in our lives, praying for them, submitting to them, submitting to God's authority for us through them, even when that's confusing and hard for us to do, what a testimony. What a testimony to our faithfulness in God. But to submit in a way that recognizes that these leaders are mere men and women, there's nothing superhuman about them. They are not strong enough to handle the hopes and dreams of a nation. No one other than Jesus is strong enough to handle the hopes and dreams of a nation. No human being has shoulders that broad or legs that powerful that they could stand up under the weight of aspirations and hopes and dreams. The the leaders that are given to us are too frail to carry or even restore the collective soul of the nation. There's only one who can do that. And we know that. So we laugh that off, right? That's what we're supposed to do. When we hear statements like that, when we see that kind of um, importance being given to mere men, we, we shrug that off knowing that we know better. Regardless of whose guy is in charge, he is limited by what he can do, especially when it comes to the most important things in our lives. Because just a reminder, the most important things in our lives are not borders and budgets. The most important things in our lives are the souls of men and eternity. And we already have a king who can handle those things just fine. So let's just hold all these things in their proper perspective. The sky didn't fall. It hasn't ended yet. Maybe later today, I don't know. But as of right now, we're still here. God's word hasn't changed. His mission hasn't changed. His calling on the church hasn't changed. And be thankful. What a crazy time to be alive. Wild time to be alive. We place the American flag on stage today in a prominent place not only to remind us of our election and the need to pray for our country, which we should do daily, by the way, but also to remind us of Veterans Day, which is coming this Wednesday. And we want to pause briefly this morning to say thank you to all those of you who are currently serving or have served in our armed forces. And I know... I know, anything, if I know anything about those who served in the military, they hate being recognized, but I'm going to ask them this morning that if you have served or are currently serving, would you just stand and let us uh, recognize you this morning? Thank you. It is not lost on the body of Christ that freedom is not free and comes at a great sacrifice. And it's not lost on us that our way of life has been preserved and protected by countless men and women through the years who put on those uniforms and said their vows of commitment and put themselves in harm's way. So we thank you, men and women who have served us and served our nation. I could talk about so much more other than Mark 13, but I promise we're going to get there eventually. Don't worry. Let's do this. Let's, Let's read... Let's read the passage together, and then we'll we'll offer a word of prayer. Mark chapter 13. We're going to read the first 13 verses together today. here's, Here's what Mark tells us. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? 
There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over, deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and God, all that it teaches us. Thank you for this church and the family that we get to be. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing today. On your answered prayers, we, we think of Vince Bame and the progress he's making. We just rejoice in health being restored. We, we think of Sam George and, and her recovery from heart surgery, and we just rejoice that you heard our cries and heard our prayers Thank you, thank you for our brother Jim Atkins and, and his, re, uh, his recovery from recent surgery, and we rejoice in answering our prayers. We celebrate with the Altabelli family as Dylan got married yesterday, and we rejoice for, for all that you've provided. God, it's been a good, good stretch here in our church family. So thank you for being so gracious, for answering prayer, for moving in our midst. Lord, we thank you for our nation and the great privilege it is to live here, and the privilege it is to be part of the election process. And we pray for wisdom. We recognize there's a lot of legal battles ahead and contested votes and all of that. We just pray that, God, you would help your church keep their head. Lord, I pray that we would demonstrate that we are a people who are free from the anxieties of this world because we have confidence in you. And Lord, I pray, I pray Lord, that that would be a testimony over us. We thank you for the men and women who have served our nation faithfully over the years. God, thank you for their sacrifice, for their commitment, for the way that they laid down their dreams and their desires for seasons to protect and preserve our way of life. And we thank you for their humility and their example. As we open the word today, God, we just need your, your touch. We need your spirit to speak. We need eyes to see and ears to hear. And we ask that you would do that for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now you'll know why Chad and Simon were preaching the last two weeks. Because it's taking me a few weeks to get the courage to handle this passage and the next two weeks. So the, Mark 13 is like the most chaotic of the passages in Mark and the most difficult to interpret and the most challenging to come to some kind of understanding with. And I needed a couple weeks to lead up uh, to that. But thank you, Chad and Simon. You guys did an amazing job the last couple weeks. The 13th chapter of Mark provides for the Bible teacher quite a challenge, and the main reason it's a challenge, and it's okay to admit that, 
We, we'll, all, we'll all agree that the Bible is written like typically in like a third grade English level. Like we should all be able to process it well. That doesn't mean it's always clear to us. It just means that we can read the words in front of us. The challenge to the Bible teacher when we come to Mark 13 is that because we're dealing with prophetic language, it's hard for us to know sometimes what exactly Jesus is talking about in Mark 13. You see, through the lens of history, the biggest obstacle is that it appears to us that Jesus is addressing two different events. The destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and his second coming. But his disciples didn't see them as two different events. They understood them as one event. Which is why the confusion existed uh, and why it's hard for us sometimes to determine when is Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple and when is he talking about when he's coming back again. He toggles between the two and, and doesn't give us clear lines when talking about that. And it should help us to know that when the, uh, the prophets in the Old Testament talked about these coming things, they saw them, the prophets saw them as the same event. The church age, this gap in the fulfillment of Jesus' coming and the establishment of his kingdom was unforeseen to the Old Testament prophets too. So it becomes a little confusing for the Bible teacher when we hit passages like this. And I'm making so much of a deal about this because I'm hoping to stall long enough to have to go home before I get to anything, right? <laughs> but God's word is clear. It's actually, there's a, an old, the old reformers had a, a, a doctrine. Was, the, was it the perspicuity? Is that what they called the perspicuity of scripture? Which just meant it was clear. You would think they would come up with a better word for that, but it, it meant that the Bible is clear and plain and understandable. So here's, here's what we can see today. There's a startling response. As they're leaving the temple, they're walking past these grand structures. And, the, and Herod's temple was beautiful. I mean, gilded with gold, like huge pillars. He spared no expense in the rebuilding of the temple. The temple complex, which wasn't just made of one building, but multiple buildings, was, was, stood out in, in Jerusalem. It was a magnificent place to be. And so they marveled at it. And that shouldn't be, any, that shouldn't be startling for us to understand. I mean, that's what happens when we, when we show up at really big, ornate places. We go, oh wow, that's beautiful. Look at that weird gargoyle thing stuck over there. And look at this. And we, we marvel at it. Anyone ever been to the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina? You walk around, you pay, what, 78 bucks to see somebody's stuff, right? You walk around, you talk about, oh, look at this, the beautiful upholstery. Look at the five books. Look at the ladder. Isn't that great? Somebody made that. And you talk about the ornate way that all of it's put together. And it overwhelms you sometimes. It's like being in Washington, D.C., I would think. Walking around the Capitol, through the mall, seeing all these beautiful buildings. And, and I think that's probably a better illustration than the Biltmore, although the Biltmore's pretty nice too. I think it's a better illustration because in D.C. you get a sense not only for the architecture, but for the symbolism and the stewardship of freedom and liberty that those buildings represent. There's an idea behind just the building. And when you're dealing with the temple in Jerusalem, it wasn't just the buildings, but this idea that God meets with man here in this beautiful place. And so they, they remark at it. One of them says, wow, this is really great. And Jesus says, no, you know what's great? Actually, this thing's all going to be torn down. 
In fact, not one stone will be left standing on another. This place will be obliterated, absolutely destroyed, laid to waste. What a shocking statement. Not only for the beauty and the grandeur of the buildings, but the spiritual significance that I just mentioned. What happens when the temple is destroyed? Does he mean that we're going to be in like a second or third exile? Are we, are we going to be kicked out of Jerusalem? Like, what does that mean? You, Jesus, you're telling us the temple's going to be destroyed. What does that mean for our way of life? What does that mean for our practice of worship? This is the center of Jewish identity. What does this mean for us as a people? So, while they trusted and believed in Jesus, they didn't understand what he had just said. It was as confusing to them as it is to us. And so they get him in a private conference. The big three plus one, right? You got Peter, James, and John, and Andrew tags along too. And they're sitting on the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley from the Temple Mount. So they are sitting on the Mount of Olives, gazing at the beauty of the temple. And they come up to him and they say, hey Jesus, when is all of this going to happen? You're telling us that the entire, the, the centerpiece of our identity before God is going to be destroyed. Can you give us a heads up? Like, when is that going to happen? What are the signs of that? What, are, what do we need to know and how, to, how we can prepare for that? It, if this catastrophic event is actually going to take place, what do we need to know in order to be ready? So he gives them some signs. He says, well, here's what, you, here's what you'll see. In verse 5, he says, see to it, see to it, there's like an intentional uh, participation, see to it that no one leads you astray. Okay. So before the sign, he says, make sure you're not led astray. Stick to, stick to faithfulness to me. Don't be deceived. There's a, a vigilance that must be applied here call to train their minds and discipline their hearts to be zeroed in so that they're not led astray by false messiahs, apparently. Verse 6. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. Many other prophets, like Jesus, will come announcing that they are the Messiah, that they hold this special place in Israel's history, that they are people of importance to be listened to and followed, that their teaching is the way of God. Many will come in my name. He says to these guys, see to it that you're not led astray. Many false messiahs will come before the events that he just referenced. See to it that you're not led astray. As we're looking at this, this part of the passage especially, it's very helpful to keep in mind, Jesus was asked a very specific question. He was not asked, Jesus, what are the signs of your second coming in the end of the age? He was asked, Jesus, what are the signs of these things that you're talking about? And the things he's talking about are the destruction of the temple. So let's, the Bible is clear. Keep it there for now, right? We'll get to the other stuff later, but today let's keep it there, okay? He says, leading up to that destruction... There will be false messiahs coming in his name. And it will be tempting to be led astray. Don't do that. He says, see to it that no one leads you astray. Make sure you're not in that crowd that's wandering and, and kind of loose and, and not anchored down. Make sure that you're, you're dug in deep. The, so the increasing presence of false teachers was going to be one of the signs. And he says, don't be alarmed. 
Because the things that he's talking about are very alarming, by the way. So he has to tell us not to be alarmed because our natural response is to be alarmed. I feel like that's self-explanatory. All right. People who claim to be the Messiah will come. Don't be alarmed. The stuff that we're talking about is unsettling, but you don't need to be unsettled. Not only that, you're going to hear of other unsettling things. You're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes. Let's be clear again. These are the kind of things that rattle us. We are never reminded that we are so out of control when the earth starts to shake. When a hurricane bears down on our beach house. When a global pandemic infects hundreds of thousands of our fellow citizens. We are never more aware that we are out of control when things out of, a, out of our control bear down on us, right? So you're going to see those things, he says. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. You're going to hear about wars. You're going to hear about rumors of wars, like wars that haven't even started yet. You're going to hear about conspiracies about wars. Well, this sounds like today, right? You're going to hear about famine. People are, are struggling to find food. He says, listen, all that's going to happen. But look, don't get too far ahead of yourself. That's not the end. Now, I can't go like a day and a half without hearing somebody mention this verse. Well, that's what he said. Wars and rumors of wars. Yes, he also said that's not the end yet. The wars and the rumors of wars, the unsettling of the, the geopolitical system is a sign that we are in the last days. Yes. But it's not necessarily a sign that it's the end today. That's what he says. In fact, the wars and the rumors of wars were a sign that we were getting close to the specific thing he's talking about here. The destruction of the temple. Again, we're, we're, we're zeroed in on that today. We'll get to the bigger stuff, I promise. I know that's what you all want to get to anyway. But we're going we're gonna to start here, okay? So he says to them, when you see all that, just prepare yourself. Don't get too far ahead. That's not the end. That's just the beginning of the birth pains. Okay. So those of us who have been privileged to stand by our wives' sides as they've delivered babies, or those of you who have been privileged to deliver babies, know that the birth pains are sometimes take a long time. My poor wife was induced twice with our first. She labored for days. They finally sent us home. This is a great... This is online, right? Great. Anyway, they sent us home. At the end of the day, her contractions were five minutes apart. And I said, I, 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 I listened in the class because I take notes and stuff. And I said, excuse me, doc. You told me to bring her here when they were five minutes apart. When now am I supposed to bring her? I'm not delivering a baby in my house. Like when, when exactly? Oh, you'll be fine. And he was right. Days later, we still hadn't had a baby. What is it, what is he saying here? The beginning of the birth pains. There is a rhythmic cycle to the contractions that a woman endures during birth. And sometimes that lasts a long time. But you know what it is? It's a reminder that the end is getting close. That there is a fulfillment of the desire that is arriving soon. It is just the beginning, he says. But that beginning should be a reminder that the Lord will fulfill his promise eventually. Okay, now, before we get all locked into the, 
the weeds of announcing fulfillments, we have to keep in mind once again the question he's answering, when will these things happen? He says, these are the things you'll see. You'll see upheaval, physical upheaval. The earth will be shaken. You'll see political upheaval. You'll see social upheaval, families, and famines and sickness and disease that accompanies those. But he says, these aren't the end. They're just the beginning. And the disciples were, what, what, what should their response be to that? And he says this in verse 9, be on guard. Be on guard. It sounds very familiar. I think he's working hard to make a point. He says in verse 5, don't be led astray. In verse 7, don't be alarmed. In verse 9, be on guard. Don't be swayed by the upheaval around you. Oh, now, now we're getting into something we can apply today, right? You don't have to give in to everyone else's crazy. You, rest in God. And don't be alarmed and don't be led astray. And don't be overwhelmed by all of this. Stand firm in the truth. Be sober-minded in the midst of a crazy world. Now the warning here is a preparation. He says to them, persecution will come. There, there will be a time where you'll be taken into the synagogues and the councils. You'll be beaten. You'll be flogged. You'll have to stand before kings. And the gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth. Now some of us look at that passage and say, now he's talking about the end. And it's possible he's talking about the end. Or, if we've read the book of Acts, it's possible he's talking about what happened in the book of Acts. Where at Pentecost, the nations came to Jerusalem and the gospel was preached and they were all hearing in their own tongue. And then Peter and John are dragged before the Sanhedrin, beaten and told not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they say, listen, we're not going to listen to you. You do what's right before God, we're going to preach Jesus. And Paul stood before Felix and Festus and Agrippa and he gave the testimony, right? Of how God rescued him on the road to Damascus. He preached the gospel before kings and officials. All before the destruction of the temple in AD 70. So yes, it's possible that what he's talking about is a type and a picture of what will come in the end. And that's true, there will be persecution in the end. But in this specific passage... It looks like he's talking about what's happening in Jerusalem leading up to AD 70 when Rome comes and destroys the temple. He says, be on guard. Be ready, be prepared. I'm sure hearing these things, that they'd be mistreated, that they'd be taken into custody would be alarming, frightening, and unsettling to them. Maybe they, maybe they wondered, what would they do if it actually happened that way? And Jesus offers here some reassurance. Maybe you feel the same way sometimes. As you see the world swirling, as you see these birth pains happening in the nations, you wonder, what's going to happen to me? As you watch religious liberties and freedoms being eroded, you wonder, at what point does this gathering become a, a, a crime? What do we do then? And you begin to fear What's going to happen when we're, we're held accountable by local officials for our faith? There is, a, there is a sense of encouragement that comes from this passage. He says, when that happens, don't be anxious about what you're going to say. Don't be worried about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit is going to use you the same way he uses me. He's going to fill you with the right words. He's going to give you what you can say. He's going to speak through you in those times of persecution. So get real close to him. And let him speak. Indeed, 
Disciples of Jesus will be hated for his namesake, but he says that salvation is waiting for those who endure. Not that endurance is a work that secures salvation, but endurance is a sign of salvation. That those who are saved by grace through faith, God will preserve and they will endure to the end. The end of what? Oh gosh, I don't know. AD 70, the end of the temple, the end of the age, the end of the era, the end of their lives. All of them could be true. All of them are true. There's a blessing for those who endure, who are faithful to the end. So be on guard. Don't be led astray. Don't be afraid. Don't let the uncertainties of the political world knock you off course. Don't let the fear of the destruction of your way of life knock you off course. Don't be afraid. Instead, hold on to Jesus to the very end, no matter what. And with that, we'll mercifully stop today. And we'll ask our big question, okay, so what? What does all this mean for us? What are we to make of this? Well, like we said, when we come to the prophetic passages, and that's what this is, it's a foretelling of events that haven't happened yet, it's good for us to remember the challenges that approach us when we, when we handle these passages. That prophetic imagery and, and language is broad and really comprehensive. And like we said, when, when the Jews looked at the prophets and all that the prophets said about the coming kingdom, they saw all of it happening at one time. When we look back through history, we can see it happening in stages. So much so that there are times when major world events are included in the same verse and are actually separated by hundreds and thousands of years. For example, when Daniel sees his vision of the global empires, that's all contained in like four verses. But in the unfolding of human history, that took hundreds and thousands of years. And we're still seeing it unfold. So while the prophets might look at it and see it all happening at the same time, history helps us to see it happens in stages, which should cause us, because of our historical perspective, to be very careful about how we assign fulfillments to these things. What's clear and unmistakable? Yes. Let's celebrate that and say, look, God is faithful. Here is an example. But let's be careful, because we're seeing it in stages, and we don't have the whole picture just yet. The effect is that the hearer and the reader has great difficulty sometimes discerning, like we talked about in this passage. Some of it is about AD 70, the destruction of the temple. Some of it might be about the end times. And then also, you get to the parts of the double fulfillments, that when the prophet spoke, oftentimes there was a physical fulfillment in the lifetime of the prophet, and then another fulfillment years later. For example, Isaiah 7:14, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, you shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, you know the prophet actually had a kid in his own life that fulfilled that promise, right? And then hundreds of years later, Matthew, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, connects the dots and we see that that was actually a fulfillment. Jesus' birth was a fulfillment of that passage. So there was actually two fulfillments. It actually happened in the lifetime of the prophet and then also happened much later. So what are we to make of that? I don't know, but it's a good possibility that we see the destruction of uh, Jerusalem in AD 70 and also a future destruction, future political unrest, future persecution some other day in the future. 
Does that change our response? No. Be on guard. Don't give up. Don't be led astray. All right. So what? What does all this mean? Only two points today. The first is this. Let's resist the urge to yield to false expectations. And here's what I mean by that. The Bible is clear to us. We are not living in a developing paradise. Can we, can we all just agree with that, right? I know that the, the golden age of the 1900s promised to take us into this, this era of incredible human prosperity, and, and we would create utopia here on earth. That is not going to happen, right? Like we all agree, we are not living in a developing paradise. We are living in a world based on science that is in ever and never-ending decay. We are living in a world where sin has ravaged the physical world, the spiritual realm, the, the relationships. We are not living in a developing paradise. We should set appropriate expectations, especially in a political cycle. You should be reminded of that. Okay? It is likely that four years from now, your life will be worse off than it is today. Regardless of who had won on Tuesday, that's probably the case. Because that's what's happening in the world. It's getting worse and worse. So, so let's, let's adjust our expectations. Right? That it's been this way since the time of Jesus. And what I mean by that is that we are in the last days. That means, that doesn't mean necessarily today is the end, but this entire stretch, this unforeseen gap in the prophets from the time of Jesus to today is characterized as the last days. And surely it will get bad. It, it will get worse than it is right now. But to say that we're in the last days does not mean necessarily that we're in the last, last days. It just means that's the era of history that we're in. Okay. Our, our energy and our focus, especially when we come to passages like this, should not be in trying to figure it all out. Because that's going to make you nuts. Trying to connect all these. It's almost impossible. Like it's, it's almost impossible to see it all. I mean, the scribes and the Pharisees knew every word of the Old Testament and they still missed Jesus' arrival. It's going to be hard for us to figure out what do we need to do? That's a great question. So what? What do I need to do, Matt, with all of that garbage you just threw at me? I'm glad you asked that question. Here it is. Be ready. Be on guard. Don't give up. That, that is your part of the calling here. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to map it out. You, you don't have to know all the details of all this stuff. Other people study it and they're really good at it. You don't have to know all of that. You know what you have to do? You have to dig deep into the Lord Jesus Christ and stand firm. That's your job. How do I do that? Even better. Great question. Know the Bible. Know the teaching of Jesus so that when false messiahs and false religions come up, you, they don't deceive you. Stay close to Jesus so it's easier to spot the distortions of truth. Stay faithfully committed to the work of Jesus so that when he returns and he is coming back, he doesn't find us asleep. Stay about the Father's business. And what is his business? Making disciples of all nations, preaching the gospel to people, 
helping people grow in their understanding of Christ, being the hands and feet of Jesus in a community, to be salt and light, to hold forth the word of life in a dark place. Stay faithful in the work of Jesus. And don't give up. Don't give up. Our days are hard and challenging. Sometimes we wonder if the fog of despair and discouragement and fear will ever lift. And even if it comes to losing our jobs or losing our relationships or losing freedoms because of our faith, don't give up. We're we're not going to give up, right? That's not on the table today, is it? Even, Even if it does get more challenging for us. Surely God, who called us here for such a time as this. Do you ever think about that? That in the mercy and wisdom of God, he saw fit to put this group of believers in his, in his family at this time in human history? With this kind of polarization? With this kind of dif- disagreements on philosophies of governance, on the, the philosophies that drive human interaction, on the way that the world is organized and ordered, we get to be alive at this time. What a privilege and an honor that God looked down the lens of history and said, yeah, we'll give him, we'll give him that task. We hold the gospel in this generation. And you need to be reminded today, and I need to be reminded today, because I'm, I'm prone to despair and worry, that that's not a mistake. That God isn't like, oh no, I gave the baton to the wrong runner. I wish the anchor was running this one. I wish those guys from the 50s and 60s were running in this race. No, he gave it to us. Surely the Spirit who called us to such a time as this will give us the strength to endure in such a time as this. And the words to say in such a time as this. And the creativity to minister in a world where it feels like our freedoms are being infringed upon every day. The work of God isn't done. And he works through us. So don't give up. Don't give up. There is a glorious reward waiting for those who endure to the end. For his followers who through grace-empowered life endure with him. So be ready and be on guard because never, never has it been closer. Never have we been nearer to the return of the Lord than we are today. So when he comes, let's not allow him to find us asleep at the wheel. This morning, as we had planned, we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper together. Now, the Lord's Supper, for many of you, is is a uh, time-honored part of your fellowship and worship in the church. It's a time reserved for Christians to observe and remember and honor the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. It's a time for us to remember the great love of God in Christ, a love that was given to us when we were still sinners We just praise God today for the beauty of the gospel. That when we were far from God, he loved us. When we were enemies, he made us his own. That he purchased us through the shedding of his own blood. Now if you have your little cups, you need to rip them off and and open them up. Let's do it all together so the sound, maybe they can even hear it on the live stream, all the crinkling. The wafer, the bread, reminds us of the sinless and the broken, innocent body of Jesus Christ. 
that was beaten and scarred on our behalf. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the juice that we hold in the cups today is a reminder of the blood of Jesus that was required to atone for our sins. So great was the debt, so great was the the penalty that we were under that it required the sinless blood of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The sacrificial lamb of God bled and died to cover over our sins, to satisfy God's righteous and just wrath against us that we had stored up for ourselves through sin and disobedience to release us from the guilt that we had amassed. Paul says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's offer a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you for the teaching of the scripture. Thank you for the endurance of Jesus in our lives. Thank you that you have seen fit to place us here for such a time as this. Thank you, God, that in the midst of our uncertainty and our anxieties, our fears and our discouragements, God, you're present with us, a faithful shepherd, walking us through the valley of the shadow of death. God, thank you for this great nation. Lord, we pray for a healing to come over our nation. The division we see is frightening. God, I pray that you would help us as the church to lead the way, to be gracious to those who are opponents of ours politically. Lord, we pray for a softening of hearts, for uniting together, that God, in your mercy, you would give us the gift of that unity. Lord, we thank you for the word of God and what it teaches us, that it's trustworthy and true, that it accurately predicts for us what we can hope to see in the end. Lord, I pray that you would make us good Bible students. Thank you for the reminders today from the scripture of a coming great political upheaval, a national upheaval, a global upheaval. And at some point in the future, and God, it feels like it's getting nearer today than it ever has been before. Lord, we'll see all of this unfold. Lord, I pray that in your mercy you would strengthen your church, that we would be faithful and resolute, unyielding and unbending, that we would, with new faithful resolve, partner together and commit ourselves to you fresh and new to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, I pray that you'd pour out your richest blessings on this church on your church in the Capital District and here in America. Pour out your blessings on our nation. Bring unity and healing. And God, I pray that the best days are still ahead of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. At this point, we're gonna have to say goodbye to our live stream friends. So those of you watching in your jammies at home, thank you for joining us this morning. As always, we're back here at nine and 11 every Sunday morning, and we'd love to see you, or you can continue to watch online as well. Those of you in the room here on campus, let's go ahead and stand, and we'll conclude our worship with song this morning.